0: Let's dive in today. We're in part five, and uh, I'm real excited for this message because I feel like it really is a, a great conclusion to this series. This series, if you're new to Catalyst, we teach in series, and we've been talking about the cultural distinctives of the church and who we are. This week, I was talking to Christina. We've been planning an upcoming trip, just her and I, and I was recalling several trips we had been on, uh, just the two of us, overseas. And when we go overseas, uh, many of you have experienced this, all of us probably to some degree. Bring your passport. Uh, For myself, I'm a United States citizen, so I bring my U.S. passport. Because whatever country I'm going into, uh, we have to show proof of citizenship of wherever we're coming from. And while I'm in that country, of course you abide by the laws of the land, but there are also expectations we have of the U.S. back home. right? That's why when you come back through customs, they ask you, Did you bring any livestock with you? And you say, no, I don't have any sheep in my bags this time. Come on, somebody. (laughs) This time. Maybe next time. (laughs) If it's a good sheep. Uh, But there are these expectations. But our passport proves our our citizenship. But even though I'm in this other country enjoying time there, my, my citizenship is with the United States. Why is that relevant for today? Because the scripture says this, that if you're a follower of Jesus, our citizenship is actually in heaven. The Bible actually says we are foreigners on this earth. We are exiles on this earth, that our home is actually in heaven. And I know it's not something maybe you think about every Monday morning that my citizenship's in heaven, but but my hope is this today is that you know, even as your pastor, most Sundays we're talking about from the scriptures practical ways to live out our faith on earth, and today will be no different. Uh, but but it's important to remember. Uh, I believe every once in a while that this earth is not our home. Can I get an amen? That that there is a a perfect uh, a place the scripture says in heaven where there is no sorrow, there is no tears. Come on, your favorite team always wins. Come on, somebody. Um, but, but, it, but, but it's heaven our citizenship is there. But there are implications for how we live on earth with our citizenship being in heaven. And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, as we open up your holy scriptures today, Father, we know that you're speaking, God. Lord, so we just posture our hearts and our minds, our ears, our spirits to receive what you have for us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Hebrews 13, verse 14, I'm going to read just three scriptures to start us off here. It says this, the author of Hebrews writes, For here we do not have an enduring city. It's referring to where we're living today. It's not an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come referring to the new heavens and the new earth, our eternity, our internal future. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So the author of Hebrews is reminding these Hebrew Christians that That this city's on our home. At that point, he was referring to Rome, that, that this is not our home, that our hope's not in things getting better here on earth, that our hope's not in that promotion, that our hope's not in a fully funded 401K, our hope's not in our kids growing up to be successful adults, that our hope is actually of a city that is to come in the future, referring to our eternal future. And and really what the author is writing, and it's found all throughout the New Testament, is that we are called to live on earth in light or with our focus on heaven. You know, many of you probably have retirement accounts where you are saving money. You're putting aside money each paycheck or each month for that one day, whether you retire from your job or you just reach a certain age where you will withdraw those funds. And here's what the author of Hebrews and Paul in the New Testament, other authors write is that we are actually to invest our life here on earth so that it makes a difference in eternity in heaven. And we're going to talk through what it means to be a citizen of heaven today. So here's point number one if you're taking notes. As a citizen of heaven, we have a different goal. We have a different goal. And I'm a goal person. Like, I have goals for my goals. Anybody else? Like, I love the beginning of the year because it's goal season. Like, I just love January because it's, like, it's fresh. And, like, I I set yearly goals. I set quarterly goals. I set monthly goals. I even set weekly goals. Pray for me, okay? I have goals for my goals of how many goals I will set. Come on. I love it. I'm all about it. And many of you probably have goals as well. And have aspirations, right? To build, maybe have a certain degree of success in your career. And I think it's a noble goal. And it's important to have goals for your career. Maybe goals relationally in your marriage. And to build a family. Maybe goals financially. To have a certain amount of money saved. Or uh, reach a certain uh, position or salary. And those are wonderful. And I think those are important. And I think we should have goals. But if you're a follower of Jesus... Our ultimate goal with our work, with the families we raise, with the money that we manage is to honor God. Let me give you a scripture, 2 Corinthians. The apostle Paul writes about this when he says that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, so, so you're working, you're on vacation, you're raising kids, you're, you're managing your money, your, whatever it is you're doing, do it all. For the glory of God. That, that everything we do, that we should work with a sense of ethic and excellence to honor God. That we should raise our kids not to be merely good citizens in this earth, but to follow Jesus. That we should manage our money not just how we want to, but in a way that would honor God. That we would live a life that, that pleases God. That honors God. That glorifies God. God. It's important for us to capture it. Paul said this to the Philippian church in Philippians 3.20. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. To give you a, a picture there, eagerly awaiting is like, is like a kid who's waiting for their parent to come home and they're on their tippy toes. And they like can't wait. They're like, oh man, mom or dad's going to be home any minute, any moment. That we're eagerly awaiting. Because, again, our hope's not in this earth. Our hope is that we will spend eternity with God in heaven. That's, that's where our hope lies. He's reminding them. What was happening to the Philippian church were they were getting caught up and spun up in earthly affairs spun up and getting overly consumed with work or overly consumed with the myriad of activities that their kids were in or uh, consumed with the politics of the day. And he's reminding them that that our hope's not here, that our citizenship is in in heaven. It's important for us to remember that as we live our life in the same way. You know, uh, my son and I, one of the things that we bond over is we bond over playing PlayStation together. Uh, thank you. Uh, and, and so let me give you a little bit of insight on how I parent. And don't judge me. But I want to raise my children to be functional, successful adults that other people want to be around. So um, I, I, don't, I don't go easy on them when I play video games with them. Because <laughs> I believe this. If you're that parent who always lets your kids win, your kid is going to have a hard time in adulthood. They sit down for a performance evaluation. What's a performance evaluation? I thought you just give me a raise. No, no, no. I teach my kids. No, life is hard. Come on, somebody. Right? You got, you got to earn some things in life. So one of our favorite games we play is FIFA. It's a soccer game. And we were playing, we play FIFA. Oh, that's our, kind of probably the game we play the most. And um, I smoked him. Like, I, I just defeated him handedly. He, he didn't score at all. I had, like, 18 goals. I just kept scoring. I'm running it up, running it up, running up. This is life, son. Get used to it. Come on, somebody. Come on. You got to raise resilient children, parents, okay? We get done the game. Look over at him. Starts to get tears in his eyes. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, that's life. I'd rather him cry now over a video game than when he goes to a performance evaluation. Come on, somebody. You can tell that Christina's a more sensitive parent. Come on. (laughs) I did feel bad. I'll be honest. I did feel bad after that moment, but only for a moment. Um, But I I, I pulled him aside. I said, hey, son, son, this is just a video game. Like, it's okay. Like, reset, boom, right? (laughs) Never happened, right? This is just a game. We don't have to get all upset and emotional about a game. But, but I, I, was, I was thinking about that. And if I'm honest, as I, as I was reading the scriptures this week, I don't know about you, but sometimes if I'm not careful, I, I, can, I can lose my joy over things that are temporary. Anybody else? Like, have you ever had, like, you had a bad meeting at work and then peace gone? Or you scroll your news app on the phone and you're getting all spun up over what's happening halfway across the world. And listen, I'm not saying we should not be moved by things or we should not not feel. But what I'm saying is being careful, like, that we don't find ourselves losing our joy and our peace over and over. and For these things that the one day will pass away. In fact, James says this, the brother of Jesus, that life is but a vapor. Like, literally, it's here today, gone tomorrow. So let's keep that focus and keep that mindset that we don't lose our joy. Remember, this earth's not our home. Second Timothy 2, the apostle Paul says this to Timothy. He says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It's always a great way to start a letter. Endure suffering. Thank you, Paul. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for they, then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Paul writes this knowing full well they would have had full knowledge of Roman soldiers. What was commonplace in Rome when a soldier enlisted, they were so committed to Rome, many of them didn't marry. Like their, their, their enlistment into the military was their sole focus for that season of their life. And Paul says in the same way you see these soldiers committed to the cause of Rome, we as followers of Christ are called to be committed to him. I had a moment this week. I don't know if you ever had this happen to you, but I picked up my phone because I saw a text message come through. And I went to go check it to respond to the text message. The next thing I know, 15 minutes later, I'm in the black hole of Instagram looking at reels with like golden doodle puppies because I have one. Instagram knows what I like, I guess. Or how how to not slice my driver in golf. Because Instagram knows I need help. But have you ever had this happen before? You pick up your phone to do something, and then next thing you know, you forgot what you picked it up for in the first place. You're like, you're like 20 minutes into TikTok. Or next thing you know, you bought three things off of Amazon and you forgot what you were doing. Like, what just happened? I spent $87. Or you're like obscure, you're researching some obscure topic on the internet. You're like, what just happened here? and you forgot that you actually picked up your phone to check the text message in the first place. We can get easily distracted. Here's what the Apostle Paul was reminding Timothy, is be careful you do not get easily distracted from the main purpose of your life. I've seen in my years of pastoring, people allow a dating relationship to distract them from their primary relationship with Jesus. I've seen people have a baby, The baby they were praying for. And that baby becomes the center of their life. Not the God who gave them the baby in the first place. Or or, or the pursuit of their financial or career goals take the precedence of their life over their relationship with God. So in the Old Testament, you commonly see God remind the people of God. Hey, remember who gave you the blessing in the first place. Can I tell you what I've seen in our Western culture, what's commonplace, is we, uh, we sometimes will pursue the blessing over the one who gives us the blessing. And we'll make the career the center of our life, children the center of our life, or relationship the center of our life. And they are the blessings, not the ones who give the blessing. Those are good things. Careers are great. Family, wonderful. Dating relationship, Go for it, but not at the expense of your relationship with God. Now, we don't get distracted. We don't get pulled away. We don't get deterred from what is the main thing. One of the other things that can distract us or pull us away as well are, I would say, is pain in life, hard times. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, um, in verse 16. Do y'all have a verse 16, He says, we do not lose heart. He says, though outwardly we're wasting away, he says, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So catch this, if you don't know this, the Apostle Paul was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was betrayed. He was, he was left for dead. All of these things... Because of he professed Jesus Christ as Lord. In fact, we do know this from historical data. Paul was a very wealthy man and lost most of his wealth due to injustice. He was mistreated because of his faith, and he lost most of his wealth. So he says, though outwardly I'm having a bad day, I'm getting beaten. I'm getting left for dead. I'm getting shipwrecked. Friends who are my friends for a long time have betrayed me. In fact, they even imprisoned me. One person tried to kill me. In fact, I had money, now I have no money. Watch this. He said, but inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. In other words, he says, listen, there is no beating that can beat the joy that's on the inside of me. There is no amount of money that can take the peace that I have on the inside of me. Well, Paul, how do you experience all this? He says, I fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on the stress of life, not on the anxieties of life, not on the oppression, not on the injustice, not on the mistreatment, but what is unseen. For what's seen is it's temporary. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. But what is unseen is eternal. Heard a story this week, and I had to research it to, to, to find out if there was truth to it, and there is. Did you know the only bird that has the audacity to attack an eagle is a crow? And a crow will climb on the back of an eagle. You can research pictures and videos of this. And they'll peck at an eagle's back. And they'll just, they'll just go to town with the eagle's head. And the eagle, if you see this, they'll act unfaced. Here's what will happen. What the eagle does, the eagle just begins to fly higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. Until the eagle gets to a height, the crow cannot breathe anymore. And the crow falls down. Here's what, here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, when life is really hard, I just keep directing my eyes higher and higher and higher and higher. You know, the apostle Paul, I want to have a faith like him because he was the man who wrote to live his Christ, to die his gain. Do you know what you can do to a man, the apostle Paul? You can do nothing to him. (laughs) You can do nothing to a man like that because it says, go ahead and kill me. Because to die is gain. I'll be with Christ. I'll be a martyr. The church will advance. Oh, you want me to live? Oh, then I'll live for Christ. Then I'll preach the gospel. So you can't do nothing to me. Be me. Oh, would you? Because outwardly I'll be wasting away, but inwardly I'm being renewed daily because my focus isn't on this earth. My focus is not being out of prison. Oh, I'm in prison. I'm going to reach this jailer. Guess what? He's come to faith, and now I'm going to baptize his family. Would you keep me in jail, please? You can do nothing to a man like Paul because his eyes are not fixed on what is seen. It's fixed on what is unseen. So how do we practically do this? Can I help you practically? What helps me? How do we fix our eyes on what is How do we be like the eagle and we lift up high? It's prayer. Here's what prayer does. Prayer reminds me that our God is far more powerful than our problems. When I pray, and let me, let me give you one step forward, the most, some of those powerful and effective prayers you can pray is when you pray scripture or pray the names of God. So we sung Jehovah, the first song, if you didn't know that, look it up on YouTube. It's a powerful song because we sing Jehovah Rapha. So pray to God, our healer. So God, I believe you can heal the sickness in my body because who you are is a healer. Pray the scriptures. That's why we know the scriptures. Because when you pray, he's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. So if you have a need, God can provide. And the same God who provided manna in the desert for the Israelites is the same God who can provide for you. The same God who parted the Red Sea is the same God who can part your proverbial sea. So when you begin to pray the names of God and the scriptures... They're powerful, and they remind you of who your God is, and all of a sudden, those problems you're facing, they just seem a whole lot smaller. When you pray to a God who part sees, when you pray to a God who raises the dead to life, when you pray to, pray to a God who opens the blind eyes, when you pray to an all-powerful, all-knowing God. Point number one is we have, we have different goals We live to honor God. Number two is we live by a different standard. The scriptures. Verse 15 of Hebrews 13. They said, let's offer God a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice of praise. He talks about sacrifice because the Christians in that day were making sacrifices. But they were making some of the wrong sacrifices. Have you ever made a sacrifice that you regretted? A few weeks ago, I made a sacrifice I regretted. I was, um, I was up, uh, it, was, it was evening time, and I told myself, I told you before, um, I don't watch many shows or movies, but uh, I do watch sports documentaries. I, just, I love them. And there was this brand new sports documentary. Um, it's called Untold, about a, a football player on Netflix. So I told myself, I'm gonna watch 15 Minutes. I'm going to go to sleep. I have to get up early in the morning. 45 minutes later, your boy was hooked. Christina's asleep. I'm like watching. I'm like, I can't stop watching this. It's so good. The next morning, I wake up. I immediately regretted that sacrifice. I had to have some additional coffee. I was just like groggy. I was like, why did I watch? Have you ever been there? Like you watched one extra, Netflix like, Do you want to go to the next episode? You're like, what's one more going to hurt? The next morning, you're like, I'm hurting God. I should have done that. Right? Those are always the morning as a parent, the kids get up even earlier. You're like, come on, come on. I watched the show last night. Didn't you get the memo? Uh, but listen, that's a a minor sacrifice. Can I tell you earlier in Christina's marriage, I made a sacrifice that I regret, um, I sacrificed some of my presence at home for more success at work. And I wasn't at home as much as I should have been. And what I've learned is this in our Western culture, that's a common sacrifice. We're even conditioned to lay things on the altar of success in our Western culture. And as a pastor, I've sat across the table of people who have sacrificed. It wasn't what they set out to do, but they've strained their marriages. They've strained their relationship with kids. And can I tell you, I've talked to a number of people who've experienced this, and not one person's ever told me, if I had the chance to do it again, I would do it again. Every time. They said, I wish I wouldn't have laid this on the altar of success. Here's my challenge to you. Paul says to not conform to the patterns of this Western culture, which says, lay everything at the sacrifice of su- at the altar of success. Your health, your marriage, your relationships, your faith. I've seen people compromise their faith for a relationship. And they'll compromise their convictions. And not once, again in pastoring people, have someone says, if I had the chance again, I would do it again. There's always regret. And I'm not here to bring condemnation. I'm here to just simply say this. If, if you've been there, man, do not make a sacrifice you will one day regret. But there is a sacrifice we are called to make. Let me give you some scripture, Romans 12.1. The apostle Paul actually says that we are called in view of God's mercy to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In the Old Testament, priests would have to offer animal sacrifice for the atonement of sin. And here's what he's saying. That no longer is necessary because of the mercy of God. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church is a whole lot less messy without animal sacrifices. Come on, somebody. But he says, be a living sacrifice. Here's what that means. It's the posture of our heart that says, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. Not my ways, God, but your ways. I want to be a living sacrifice. Several years ago, I watched a documentary on a a fan base in the NFL. It's the first Sunday of NFL football. Uh, Many of us, I see there was jerseys in first service and second service. A lot of hope in the air this year because Patrick Mahomes lost the first game. Come on. We all feel hopeful right now. like, all right, there's hope for us. If you're a Chiefs fan, I'm not sorry. Um, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. No, but um, I watched a documentary on the Bills Mafia. You heard about this? The Buffalo Bills football team, they call their fan base, their, their fanatical fan base, the Bills Mafia. And these are like individuals who their life kind of centers around Buffalo Bills football. And they are committed. If you know the Buffalo Bills, like past 30 years, they haven't had a lot to cheer about. Last couple years have been good. But, but they, they, they're, 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 they're like, I mean, they're committed. Like the whole week during the football season, they are preparing for Sunday as if they're a pro player. Like they're like, okay, here's what I'm going to grill out. Here are the beverages we're going to have. Here's who we're inviting, you know, and they're committed like in Buffalo, right? Buffalo gets cold in like now, right? Like so like in October, November, December, it'd be like 20 degrees, 10 inches of snow on the ground. Your boys are grilling Italian sausages at 9 a.m. in the parking lot, Right? Like they're committed. They're like there four hours before the game time, grilling out, tailgating, celebrating. They do lots of things I won't talk about from a platform on church. It's inappropriate. But they're committed. By the time the game starts, they've had way too many Italian sausages and adult beverages. And it's like the whole day is around Bill's football. And and they're even their friends, it's like a tight little community. It's like they don't. You know, a normal fan, like, thinks about the game the night before. And they get there half an hour before the game, maybe even right when the game starts. But a, but a fanatic, a Bills Mafia, they're going to think about this thing all week long. It's, it's like their life is centered around it. And it made me think, because Paul says we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That we are called to be followers or fanatics of Jesus not just fans it's not like that Jesus is an accessory to our life when it's convenient God when I'm in need God I turn to you you're there when I need you you're like that spare tire in the back of my car when life is hard Jesus and he's good He's like triple A. He'll be there for you. Come on, somebody. But can I tell you, the abundant life Jesus promised will not come if you treat him like a spare tire. You're missing out. You're leaving a lot of blessing on the table. You're leaving a whole lot of blessing on the table. But here's my challenge for you. is to orient your life around Jesus. So let me be practical. It means, instead of just saying, man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put God first when I feel like it, when it's convenient. I'm going to pray to him when I, when I need something. Is, is maybe for some of you, is making prayer a priority once again? Reading the scriptures on a regular basis once again. Making church a priority once again. Or, more powerful, putting the word into practice. Maybe for some of you, you know that person who hurt you 11 years ago? that you need to forgive them, but you've been holding on unforgiveness. You know you're called to be more generous, although you've been holding back. You know you're, you're called to respect and serve your spouse more than you have been, but you haven't been. Again, here's my, here's my heart for you as your pastor, I that you would experience more of the grace of God and the mercy of God, the blessing of God. But it, it requires us orienting our life around him, Structuring our life around Him, I want to challenge you this fall: is to go all in with God. Just go all in. Say, God, I'm not going to treat you as an accessory. I'm not just going to come to you when you're convenient. I'm going to put you first in my life. I'm going to structure my life around you. I'm going to make prayer a priority. I'm going to read the scriptures. Can I tell you this too? We as a church, I want you to know this. We structure our programming, how we do things so that you can become a more devoted follower of Christ. You can experience more of the abundant life Jesus promised. So go all in here at Catalyst. Like go all in, like make, making church a priority. Join a community group next Sunday. Be, be involved in community. Begin to, we call it, take your master. Trusted friend who can pray for you and support you. You can find freedom from those hurts and those hang-ups and those bad habits. And, I man, go all in this fall with what we're doing as a church. And I believe as you do so, as you go all in with God, you'll experience the abundant life he promised. If you believe it, can you say amen? amen. Jesus in Matthew 7, speaking of a parable, he said this uh, about the word of God. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house. But it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Then he says, build your life It's a foundation. Your foundations are important. We often don't think about foundations much. You don't walk into a house and say, you got a great foundation here. I like what you did with it. We notice the drywall, the drapes, the windows, right? The paint. But do you know the most costly repairs in a building, in a house, is from a faulty foundation? Cracked walls, uneven doors, uneven windows. That's far more costly than a hole in your drywall, than a window that's not sealed properly. Your foundation matters. And Jesus has built a life on the foundation of the Word of God. Can I tell you, if you build your life on the foundation of your career... It's a faulty foundation on your marriage. It's a faulty foundation on your children. Faulty foundation on your wealth. Faulty foundation because none of them are perfect. The Bible says there's only one kingdom that will never be shaken. The kingdom of God. Several months back, we at a restaurant with my kids and, um, having three kids, we don't often go to restaurants with three kids, uh, it's quite an experience, all right? <laughs> so, but we were out at a restaurant, and uh, it had its breakfast buffet. And one of my children, before we could kind of, we usually walk with them and, and, and pick out their food. Before we could do that, they come back to the table, and they have a Belgian waffle smothered in syrup, a eggs, bacon, fruit, yogurt, and a chocolate pastry. They sit down and I say, That's a lot of food for an adult. I said, Are you sure you're gonna be able to eat that? That's a lot of food you got. Dad, I'm really hungry. Okay, okay. They eat about 70% of their food. 20 minutes after breakfast, they're kind of huddled in the corner. Dad, my, my tummy hurts. I said, Yeah, I'm not surprised. That's why your dad told you, you probably got too much food. You know what I've seen in my own life personally and as a pastor? That when we neglect to put God's word into practice, it eventually will lead to pain in our life. The scripture actually says this, that sin or not following God's word is actually pleasurable for a moment. Like that Belgian waffle covered in maple syrup was good in the moment. Come on, somebody. But it was painful later. And I've seen people experience pain in their relationships because they neglected to put God first. Pain in their finances because they did not put God first. That's why Jesus says, when you build your life on putting my words into practice, man, regardless of what happens in your life, you will be built on the rock. In fact, he says you'll be blessed if you do so. I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 19. He says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for the living. Did you hear this? The psalmist writes this The word of God gives you wisdom, joy, insight like it's it's and the words perfect it's right the word of god it's powerful my my children love to play with legos in our household and legos are far different than they were when i was a kid is anybody else in the room you're old enough to remember for me legos came in a plastic like bucket right and there were no sets it's like you just make it up as you go and now they have these sets i have a set up here this morning and um, my kids love, love these Lego sets. And they're like, they're pretty complex. They're like not simple. I mean, this one has 598 pieces. Um, but what happens is, though, you know, they have these, these Lego sets and they come with all these pieces. And, you know, it made me think about life is a lot like Legos. Because you have all these different pieces to your life, don't you? Like you have your your work life pieces, you know, all your coworkers and your career goals. And then you have your relationships, your friends, the person you're dating or your spouse and your kids. And then, then you got like your, 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 your hobbies, those things that you do with the spare time you have. And then you have, you know, your faith and all those things. And you have all these pieces to your life. Well, my kids, they put these Legos together. Legos now come with these manuals. Have you seen this? I mean, this is a book, okay? And when they get Legos, when I'll see them, they're like head down. I mean, following step by step. They're like, okay, this goes there, this there. I mean, they're like studying this thing. This thing's thick. And it made me think about, because life, you're handed a bunch of pieces. And all of our pieces look a little bit different. But they have a manual here in the, in the Lego book. And God has given us a life instruction manual to make sense of the pieces. Well, God, how do, how do I raise these kids? There's scripture for that. God, how do I manage my money so, so I have healthy? There's scriptures for that. God, how do I navigate marriage? I have no idea what I'm doing. There's a scripture for that. God, how do I deal with this coworker who's locked behind my back? There's scripture for that. God, how, how do I deal with filling the blank? I'm dealing with anxiety. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. You name an issue. There's scriptures for that. The, the, the Bible helps us make sense. What, what did the psalmist say? It makes the why the the, the simple wise. <laughs> gives us wisdom. I want to encourage you, be a person of the word. Be a person of the word. We have a different standard. Point number three, my last point, is that we work for a different reward, referring to eternal rewards. Hebrews 13, 16 says that the sacrifices that we offer God, that God is pleased. I'll put these Legos over here to the side here. He's, he's, he's speaking to that one day uh, we will stand before God. And as I mentioned earlier, as a pastor, I want to help you navigate life as a person of faith. But I also want to prepare you for the life that is to come. Because the life we're in now is a vapor. And there's two judgments we will, we will face at the end of time. The first judgment is what's called a great white throne judgment. It's every person who's ever lived will face this judgment. If you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ, you will stand before God. And God will judge your life based upon the righteousness of Christ Jesus because you profess your faith in him. And Jesus, who had no sin, God will look at you with the same degree of righteousness. And he will say, enter into heaven, into glory forever. And we will be eternally with God forever. For those who have not professed their faith in Jesus Christ, they will be judged according to their own righteousness. And the scripture is clear there is no one righteous, not one. So they will be eternally separated from God forever. And this is why it's so important. I mentioned that I spoke of this last week that we share our faith, that we are people who, that's why we're adding a third service. Because the Bible says this, God wants no one to perish. Can I get an amen? God wants everyone to come in faith in him. And it's a free gift. It's unconditional. The second judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. It's a a reward-based judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 speaks to it. Paul writes about this judgment that we'll face. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that Each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we will be judged according to what we did with our life here on earth. It's reward-based. We're entering into heaven. We'll spend eternity with God in heaven. But the degree of rewards we receive will be contingent upon our faithfulness to God's word in this life today, which is why how we live matters. When I was in school, there was a type of test that I disliked the most. They were called pop quizzes. Anybody else? Like some of you just felt pain right now. The worst was when you came in off a good weekend with family and friends, and the teacher says, all books, no books away. You're like, ah! I should have read. I should have read. Writing utensils only. And the pop quiz right there. My favorite were open book tests. I was all about the open book test. Because you didn't have to really study, right? You just took the test and you had the book right there. And you were like, okay, that the answer there. Okay. But you hear this. The great white throne judgment in the judgment seat of Christ is an open book test. God showed us, here's how I want you to live your life. And we will be rewarded according to. My last scripture is from Timothy. Paul writes, and he gives an analogy of, of, of the Roman culture. He says, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So they would have known in the Roman, Roman Olympics that in order to achieve a crown, a medal, you would have to follow the rules. There were there was rules, guidelines. You had, to, you had to compete according to. So Paul writes this saying this. There are instructions. There are rules, to use the analogy, but there are instructions God's given us. And he says we will be rewarded according to. I want you to hear this. This is important. God wants to reward us. Like He's laying it out in the scripture because he wants to reward us. The New Testament speaks of crowns that we receive in heaven. Rewards. And not everyone's going to have the same. The scripture's clear on that. But we have a part to play and we can determine what our rewards look like. You know, in the Burroughs household we have a family movie night and every Friday night, most Friday nights and on that night, we have dessert, mainly ice cream because ice cream is amazing. But when we have those nights, usually ice cream is rewarded, but it's contingent upon my children eating their vegetables. And if there's protein, whatever protein that it is, we have that night. And as a dad, I want everybody to eat ice cream. I, I do. And most nights, every child eats the Protein and vegetables, so they can have the ice cream. There are sometimes some of my children will try to pull a fast one and they'll throw their plate away before I see that they did not finish their spinach or their carrots. To which I have a loving conversation there is no ice cream tonight because you did not finish what I asked you to finish. That pains me as a dad. Because I want them to enjoy ice cream because I'm enjoying it. Come on, somebody. That's why I ate my vegetables. I would never eat vegetables if it wasn't any ice cream. Come on. Well, listen, as a dad, I love to reward my kids. But I have conditions because I care about their soul. God wants to reward us. God wants you to have the abundant life. He wants to bless your life. He wants to bless the work of your hand. He wants to bless your health, to bless your finances, to bless your marriage, to bless your relationships. He wants to reward you. So on that day when you stand before Christ Jesus, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the very little I gave you on earth. Come enjoy your rewards, eternity in heaven. So as we are faithful and obedient to God's word, as we read the scriptures, as we pray, as we forgive those who've hurt us, as we submit to the authority in our life, as we're kind and respectable to the people in our life, as we repent of our sin, as we abstain from immorality, as we pursue paths of righteousness, one day we'll stand before King Jesus. My hope and prayer for you as your pastor is you'll be well rewarded because of your faithfulness to God here on earth. Can you pray with me, church?